You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today, before we begin, I want to remind you about all of these resources that if you have not had a chance, you're missing out. Because there's something called wealthformula.com. And there's all sorts of free stuff there. And everybody loves free stuff, right? I do. Uh, free stuff like free books, like my free book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, an Amazon number one bestseller, yours for free. And then George Newberry's book, Burn Zones. George is a good friend of mine. Uh, he actually uh, used to be a multifamily uh, titan. You know, he was a multifamily giant, had like, millions and millions of dollars of real estate. His story is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And it's one of the reasons I, I really like the guy. So check his book out too. It's called Burn Zones. He'll send you a free copy in the mail. See, I won't do that because I'm too cheap. And George will send you a real copy in the mail though. So check that out at wealthformula.com. Also, I want to remind you for those of you who cannot get enough of wealth formula and of yours truly there is a way to get into the inner sanctum of the wealth formula community and it's called wealth formula network and i would love to see more of you join this right because you guys want to talk if who is this for that's the question the question is who is this for and it is for people who love talking about money and investing uh, and getting sort of the insides and building that tribe of, of like-minded individuals. You know, I've said it before, I am probably not that interesting when it comes to being a guest at people's houses for dinner, unless you want to talk about investing or you want to talk about NFL football. Otherwise, I'm pretty much boring. And uh, if that sounds like you, if you like to be talking about deals and talking about football even and you want to be around other people you can do that with without feeling like you're being a lame-o and ruining the conversation you belong in wealth formula network now the good news is the wealth formula network the community is not only bi-weekly mastermind calls facebook communities portals additional top secret uh, um, content that only is available to the members, but also there's a whole course associated with this with the likes of Ken McElroy and Tom Wheelwright and Christian Allen and Dean Graziosi, all in one big package for you to go take advantage of. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com and join the fun. Now, um, as you know, maybe you don't know this, but I've been on a real kick lately uh, to challenge myself to learn about things that I don't know about uh, and to, you know, to challenge my own investing uh, paradigms. Because I've talked to you in the past before about how, uh, you know, when I've listened to other people without doing a little investigation on my own, I have frequently found myself to being misinformed because I'm listening to the same people all the time. And I'm trying to get out of that 
Um, recently, you saw me come out in a shocking revelation coming out of the proverbial closet of gold uh, and I saying that I don't actually see the point of owning physical gold. And surprisingly, no one uh, sent me hate mail for that one. Uh, my point was that I thought, listen, you can hedge the economy with appreciating, appreciating real estate uh, with leveraged debt and cash flow to boot. Who needs gold? Anyway, I've had people on my show to prove me otherwise. I will continue to do so. And, you know, if somebody proves me otherwise and tells me how I can make it into a useful investment, let me know. But, yeah, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, owning GLD and selling options, I can't really quite figure that one out yet. Um, we've also had, you know, really good people on lately. Like Michael Flight was talking about uh, commercial real estate. I think he made a good case for it. It's maybe not for me still, but I like it when people come on and give me their opinion and they have a track record of success. Uh, and um, and he was a very good sport, by the way. I think he's a good guy and he's a smart guy. And uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there's some maybe there's some value there. Um, but you know, listen, there there's stuff like that where I've had dogmas where I'm like, yeah, I'm not really you know I I really like gold, but then I'm like, well, why do I like gold? Or I look into it and I say, okay, well, maybe I don't like gold because maybe I just like gold because everybody said I should like gold. And similarly, with commercial real estate, you know, it doesn't quite fit into my Maslow's hierarchy thing, um, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and people need a place to live, that kind of thing. So I was kind of down on that. But Michael kind of turned me around, especially when it comes to, say, you know, triple net stuff, right? I mean... If you had a, a ton of money and you want to just a triple net Walgreens, uh, Walgreens ain't going anywhere. So, you know, you're going to make a bunch of money. The tricky part with that is yield, right? So, again, there are things to consider and you want to constantly be exploring new things, okay? Now, I started uh, uh, recently looking at this other uh thing, which was uh, mobile home parks. And I know a number of you know that I have been interested in that and have been talking to operators. I've been talking to, you know, individuals who do this kind of thing. And, um, and you know, I was really initially very excited because my idea was this, right? Um, if I'm looking at which effectively low income housing then, you know, maybe I should uh, be getting significantly higher returns, right? I mean, that's kind of the way I think about it. Like, if you're going to go and buy a bunch of A-class apartment buildings, you know, don't expect your yield to be all that great, you know? Don't don't expect to be getting double-digit returns, you know? On the other hand, if you're going in and you're doing big value adds and turning, you know, B-minus or C-plus class things into B-plus, then yeah, maybe yeah, then 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 you're going to get higher returns. But um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, why would anybody buy D-class apartment buildings? You expect, well, you must, it's a higher risk, so you expect a higher return. Um, you know, I started looking at mobile home parks, and I expected the yield to be, frankly, uh, significantly higher. And I think at one point it was. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, no one buys low-income housing for appreciation, 
Um, so I figured cash flow must be super high and there must be tax advantages off the charts. But honestly, that's not really what I was finding. And so I am, for the most part, you know, sticking with apartment buildings uh, and, you know, a handful of things here and there that you guys know about. I like self-storage, et cetera, still. Um, now, recently, though, I, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to talk to people. Recently, I got asked if um, I'd like to have a guy on the show by the name of Jefferson Lilly. And I looked at his bio and I see, well, gosh, you know, he's a, you know, he's a Wharton Business School guy. And obviously Wharton's University of Pennsylvania Business School is a fancy, uh, you know, top tier school. And obviously he's smart. He lives in the Bay Area. He's being Silicon Valley. Um, and then I saw him in his bio. He says that mobile home parks are better than homes and apartments as an investment. And I'm thinking to myself, man, them's fighting words for me, right? So I figured if anyone could convince me to leave my happy place in the apartment world and migrate out towards mobile home parks, it would be him. So I thought, well, gosh, let's have him on Wealth Formula Podcast. And so that's what I did. So I interviewed uh, I interviewed Jefferson Lilly, and uh, when we come back, you're going to hear that conversation, and you get a chance to make a decision for yourself if mobile home parks are right for you. <clears throat> Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Jefferson Lilly. He is a mobile home park uh, investor and entrepreneur and the founder of Park Street Partners, which has been in business since 2013. Uh, he's got an MBA from Wharton uh, Business School there, a little, little school a few people probably know, and, and started his career in Silicon Valley. Now he is focused on mobile home parks and even has his own podcast focusing on the topic. Jefferson, welcome to the podcast today. Buck, great to be here. So I have to tell you, uh, first thing that strikes me, uh, just as, a, as an aside, is that so I have a friend. I don't have that many friends in this uh, mobile home park space, but the one friend I have who's really good in this space and who knows his stuff and is a great operator actually grew up on a mobile home park. Hey, Mike, how are you? And uh, so tell me, how does a guy who goes to Wharton, lives in San Francisco, uh, end up in mobile home parks? Uh, well, Buck, as I say, when I woke up from the concussion, it just seemed like a good <laughs> idea to be buying a mobile home park. Right. There you go. Uh, but uh, but more seriously, uh, you know, I, prior to getting into this business, I had worked in high tech uh, out in Silicon Valley. I'd kind of done the whole crazy dot com up, down and sideways thing. Came out of that basically looking for value. Uh, figured I was not going to do the sort of, you know, crazy high tech investing. And again, re really wanted value. And I'd always been a big fan of Warren Buffett uh, and a very small uh, Berkshire Hathaway shareholder. So I, initially, I just thought I would diversify out of the stock market, buy an apartment building, uh, and obviously generate some passive income. Uh, so in just researching apartment building investing, obviously, that's multifamily. I kept seeing these mobile home parks pop up in my search results, you know, and it was maybe one in a hundred multifamily properties were mobile home parks. They're, they're, they're few and far between, but uh, yeah, they tended to trade at a higher cap rate, which is to say a lower price. 
And um, so I kind of, you know, I found them part by uh, part by plan and part by dumb luck. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this on your show, but but in researching them, basically discovered why they're so much better uh, than apartments or, or other classes of real estate. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's talk about that, because, I mean, I am a diehard apartment guy, so I'm going to obviously challenge you on this. Um, you Please. say mobile home parks are the best real estate uh, you can invest in, basically better than single family homes, which probably is, that, in my view, that's not hard. Uh, and apartment buildings. So tell me, tell me why I'm wrong about apartment buildings and that mobile home parks are better. Yeah. So uh, I'll start off with two words, uh, uh, leaky, uh, leaky toilets and leaky roofs. Okay. <laughs> Uh, undoubtedly you as an apartment owner, uh, obviously uh, own all your improvements and all that repair and maintenance, those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs are on you. Um, and I would guess, you, you tell me, I would guess your repair and maintenance budget is probably 15 to 18% of your gross rents. Is that fair? No, I don't know. I'd have to look, but it, it may not be that high. But I mean, the other thing is, of course, we're doing things in larger scale, not generally, you know, buying like 10 units or, you know, we're, we're syndicating 250, 300 units at a time and, you know, I have a portfolio of several thousand units. So it's, it's a little bit different, I think, than necessarily owning one at a time, but, but no, I see your point. Your point is that this is more with mobile home parks. I think your argument is this is sort of more your triple net type model almost. Um, it's not quite that good, but, uh, you know, we, we, of course do have repair and maintenance just on the land. So that's plumbing, it's mowing, uh, for our parks up in the North, it's snow removal. Uh, but our repair and maintenance budget typically comes in at five or 6% mm -hmm. of, of, of rents. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so our repair and maintenance budget is much lower because again, our tenants own, uh, those improvements. Got it. So this is something more like uh, a parking lot business, mm -hmm. uh, not quite perfectly, but but certainly much closer uh, to that business model than traditional apartments. Um, and then I'll also just throw out that unlike apartments or most any other real estate niche, it's actually illegal to build any more mobile home parks. Uh, pretty much every city and county over the last I don't I don't know thirty or forty years has changed. Uh, for instance, the zoning laws. Uh, density laws. Um, so you just can't build mobile home parks anymore. Uh, best guess is that something like 10 mobile home parks were built last year. Um, and then probably about 500, that would be about 1% of the total supply of say roughly 50,000 mobile home parks, but about 1% of those or 500 got plowed under and got redeveloped into some higher and better use could be could be an apartment. I've seen them developed into super Walmarts, student housing, other other assets. So, you know, in the apartment world and single family houses and retail and hotel, there's always at least the risk of overbuilding. Uh, certainly when times are good, uh, pretty much every other class of real estate is experiencing new competition. Mm -hmm. Only this niche really has shrinking competition, about 1% of parks mm -hmm. uh, go away every year. Um, and then, of course, those folks have to move their homes into the remaining mobile home parks. So that's about 1% demand right there. 
Uh, demand also probably grows about another 1%, just right along with, with the population growth. So that's about 2% demand growth per year. <clears throat> and then again, the supply is going away at about 1% a year. So you have about a 3% supply and demand imbalance uh, which again makes it a, a pretty unique uh, niche with, within uh, all of all of the world of real estate. Um, one of the things that you alluded to earlier <clears throat> is something I want to kind of touch on as well, because one of the things that I um, initially was kind of interested a little bit more in mobile home parks was this idea of you know potentially higher yield. You mentioned you know higher cap rates, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, I mean, obviously that got me interested, uh, as a, as a guy who, who, who likes cash flow as a general rule, but you know, the, the world, as I've discovered in mobile home parks in 2013, when you started is a very, very different cap rate uh, profile from 2019. Is that accurate? Certainly cap rates have been coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say still deals can be had at least in the Midwest at say roughly an eight cap, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, is better than apartment buildings generally. And we look, uh, really to, to, of course, not only acquire at, at a fair cap rate, uh, but to actually operate the parks, uh, better than they have been. Mm-hmm. So that'll be things like bumping rents, uh, buying uh, new mobile homes and bringing those into any vacant pads or buying used uh, mobile homes or renovating used mobile homes that might be on site but just abandoned. Um, so we, we actually improve the properties. So if we can buy them at about an eight cap and still have some upside there from rents and from infill, uh, we'll still do do quite well for ourselves and for our investors. So with with an eight cap, <clears throat> obviously um, one of the issues that you know we, we have an advantage in, in apartments, certainly in you know at, at least B class and and decent markets, is that we can get you know non recourse debt. We can get debt yeah. that is you know pretty significant loan to value. Can you talk about some of the issues? Uh, that you deal with and effectively in low-income housing in, in areas that may not necessarily be where, you know, uh, the, the big lenders want to be? It does vary. Uh, generally, larger deals, we can qualify for CMBS or agency debt. Uh, but indeed, smaller deals, let's just say that's deals under two or two and a half million in acquisition price. That's almost certainly debt financing. Um uh, so far, we haven't had too great difficulty getting debt financing. Uh, we tend to stay away from parks that might have a very high percentage of park-owned homes as opposed to resident-owned. Uh, and lenders are generally savvy that way. They uh, tend not to like to take mobile homes, which, which, which is chattel, right? It's real estate, as I say. It's right. not real estate. They tend to not to like to take that as collateral, but most of the parks we buy would probably be 80% resident owned homes. Some of them have been a hundred. And then again, the quote unquote, all we're buying is the land. Uh, so we, we, we've been able to get that financed. Um, and uh, what the, kind the, of loan to value typically do you, can you get? 
anywhere between 65 and 75. We might have had one deal that went as high as 78% loan to value, but Mm -hmm. the normal range would be 65 to 75. Uh, Obviously, banks uh, and the agencies in the CMBS world are all comfortable lending uh, more on generally larger properties that are more full and specifically more full with homes owned by the residents, uh, not by the, the park owner. The, right. they, they tend, again, not to like to finance the mobile homes themselves. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> talk about, um, if you would, you know, obviously, again, just to compare and contrast, and I don't know the, the statistics for mobile home parks, but certainly historically, if you look at um, you know, larger, uh, quality, uh, apartment buildings, et cetera. I mean, you can get, you know, you get decent, you get your decent cash on cash, but, but, uh, you know, uh, improving the property and getting the appreciation on the back end is really a significant part of the, the IRR and those kinds of, uh, opportunities. Can you talk about historically the appreciation of mobile home parks? Um, I can't, I don't have any industry. This is a quirky niche and and there just aren't those sorts of facts and figures readily available. Right. Right. So overall you, but you wouldn't know if that, if overall, if it's sort of relatively flat or if, if it tends to have a higher trajectory, um, just in general, I mean, even without the, um, you know, necessarily with the statistics? Um, Things are good. Uh, This is a business probably not unlike apartments where, uh, you know, they they trade based on the cap rate. So if you can demonstrate that, hey, over the last five years, you've bumped up your NOI 50%, then almost certainly your your property is worth 50% more. Sure. so that's basically what, what our goal is, it is to get that kind of improvement over that kind of time frame. If you have a, if you have arguably, this is maybe the, you know, this, I don't, is this all the ultimate low income housing, right? I mean, is that fair to say or not? Um, our, so we have very few section eight tenants, mm. uh, that said, yes, our, our average uh, tenant probably has household income of between thirty and thirty-five thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I guess that's certainly towards uh, a low-income housing. Right. So it, does that limit a little bit, sort of, on your on your upside as you create value? I mean, certainly one of the um, <clears throat> one of the things we focus on apartments, and again, I'm just mostly as an educational thing is. You know, we, we will frequently take, you know, a, a, a B minus asset that's poorly managed and, you know, maybe it's sub institutional. And yeah. um, and then we will go enforce equity and turn it into an, you know, institutional quality asset and get the additional premium on that. Um, for mobile home parks, do you have a little bit of an upside cap? Because you're ultimately dealing with people. Listen, if you you're you're going to get to a certain point, you're not you're not going to be able to afford it anyway. Generally, not. Uh, keep in mind, we might be starting with, with a park that might have lot rents of two hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and over say a five year period, we might bump those rents to three hundred and fifty. 
uh, maybe 400. So percentage-wise, that's a good increase, but in absolute dollar terms, to expect someone who's low income to pay an extra $100 a month really isn't gonna break the bank, and certainly not if that's, say, $20 increments spread out over five years. Got it, got it. Um, you, um, as we mentioned before, I mean, you're you're in the Bay Area, and I think I'm, um, and most of your uh, mobile home parks are in the Midwest. Talk a little bit about what the <clears throat> the process is in terms of, you know, w- what goes into managing those things, and you know, are there are they just the same kind of management companies that you would have for apartments, or you know, um, is it more intensive, less intensive? Are they easy to find in terms of management companies, et cetera? Can you talk a little bit about that? from you know an independent operator's perspective who might someone who might be interested in doing something in a place where they don't live yeah so this is kind of one of the very few uh bad things about the mobile home park business there really aren't uh good you know nationwide management companies that uh do this niche well uh this is not like uh say trying to find somebody to come in and manage a a 400 unit apartment building uh you know we're talking about at least in our portfolio the average mobile home park is right around a hundred pads and the lot rent let's say is three hundred dollars uh so that's thirty thousand a month in gross receipts and it's uh, that's just not interesting generally to large, you know, professional management companies. Mm-hmm. So to be in this business uh, right, you really need to keep operations in-house. Uh, so we'll actually almost always hire a manager directly from the park. Uh, we look for folks that own their own mobile home. Uh, and, and again, we'll make them the manager. They will uh, deposit all the rents, call the plumber, the lawnmower, all those sorts of things. Uh, and we then have an asset manager. We actually have a couple in our, in my previous funds. Um, and they're overseeing the managers and they in turn at that level, at the asset manager level, they're doing things like determining, uh, you know, how, how much we're going to invest into renovating a mobile home that again, might, might be abandoned. Uh, they make decisions like, you know, how, how many potholes are we going to repair or are we going to perhaps repave a park? Um, but we keep that in-house because, uh, again, that's one of the quirky things uh, about this niche. The, the assets tend to be much smaller than apartments and you really need to build up your own internal employees and systems and do it yourself to do it right. And and there we're talking about people who are living on site. So I mean, for each individual park that you have, presu- presumably you're going to have a different set of of uh, you know on the ground management. Is that sort of like a caretaker um, model with with an apartment building? Is that sort of what I guess you can, you can consider it that way? Yeah, <clears throat> they're. Uh, again, responsible for collecting the rents, filing evictions, calling for simple maintenance jobs like plumbing and mowing. Uh, And then again, more major things like a repaving or uh, those sorts of things typically are are handled by our asset managers. So um, obviously you've got, you know, you've got the asset managers now and you've got, um, uh, you know, you've got a fund. Um, Tell me how, when you first started, how did you do all this stuff? Because now, um, you know, 
certainly uh, have, uh, have have thought about it myself at various times. And like I said, I was I was interested in the idea of potentially getting into this space um, a little bit. But if you are looking to, you know, go out and um, well, how did you do it when you, when you first started? I mean, obviously you didn't, you know, you still weren't living out in the Midwest or maybe you were. No, you were in Silicon Valley or somewhere like that. Oh. How were you? How were you doing this back then? Were you just flying out there and 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 buying something and then hiring somebody and 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 basically keeping keeping in touch with them on the phone? How, I mean, just in in practical terms, how did that work? Yeah, so I've evolved from uh, doing uh, not quite all of it myself to now uh, obviously hiring other folks uh, uh, to do the, the management, the asset management and the accounting. But yeah, when I got started with my first park, that was back in early 2007. Um, I took, uh, many uh, of the inbound phone calls myself from prospective residents. Uh, I just used uh, grasshopper, which I still use to set up like a virtual PBX and people could route calls, uh, just by pressing one, two, three. Uh, so I took many, not all of the phone calls myself. That first property did have uh, a manager uh, who collected the rents for me. Um, but I was doing, for instance, my own asset management. I was flying out and uh, sleeping in an, uh, an empty trailer about one out of every three weeks. I lived on site at that first part uh, about one third of the time. Uh, just uh, bringing in, at, at that point, I was bringing in homes uh, setting them up on vacant lots. Uh, I was overseeing the crews that were doing the painting and the roofing and the electric and whatnot. Uh, and then when I was back in San Francisco for the other two weeks, uh, yeah, I was working the phones, buying more houses, dealing with emergencies uh, and, and dealing with the crews. And then again, going back out about one out of every three weeks to, uh, to live on site and see it all happen before me. So now I've hired people to do that. And I did all my own books on, on QuickBooks. Uh, but now I've got a staff of three people doing accounting, two people doing asset management. Um, so, uh, so I've outsourced that. But having been the guy, again, answering the phones, doing my own books, and being my own general contractor, uh, that certainly helped me <clears> now <throat> scale up and write job descriptions and help now my employees do those things that I myself was doing a, a dozen years ago when uh, I first uh, got into the business. Sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I, I, I try to work <clears throat> a, a little more smarter than working harder. Right, so, right, right. So right now, and again, just going back to the apartment comparison, um, because that's what I know best. Um, yeah. So we have this interesting thing um, that that I I wonder if if you're aware of, uh, you know, there's this uh, new new tax code um, that with the new Trump tax code, there's bonus depreciation, and so what effectively it allows us to do is take your typical cost segregation and an analysis that we do on an apartment building, and normally that would uh, normally that would segregate chattel as you called it, uh, and most of your you know, your buildings are, or your properties are chattel they, yes. to segregate that from real property. And uh, a cost segregation analysis would allow you to, in the past, depreciate that over five years. But with the new Trump tax code, you can depreciate that 
over the first year. So typically that's about 30% of an asset in terms of an apartment building. So in other words, if I um, if I am investing $100,000 in an apartment building or syndication uh, and, you know, there's at 70% loan to value, I'm getting like a one-to-one write-off against passive other passive income sources. Can you talk, I mean, with especially if there's so much chattel, can you talk about, you know, some of the tax benefits of mobile home parks? Sure. So uh, they're numerous. Uh, so I, we tend to depreciate about 75% mm. of our purchase price. In the first uh, I year. believe that compares pretty favorably to apartment buildings. Uh, so indeed, about 25% of our mm. purchase price is the non-depreciable land. Uh, but we will then uh, do some cost segregation on any individual mobile homes uh, that we own and break out things like appliances and carpets and things like that. Um, uh, but keep in mind then, what the assets that we're buying and putting on our books are things like uh, roads, which are depreciable, I believe, over 20 years. Uh, the pipes in the ground are indeed 27 and a half. Uh, we've typically got fencing and signage. That is, I believe, a seven-year property. Some of that maybe uh, may qualify for, for that sort of bonus depreciation. Um, and then ultimately, if we overpay, that's amortization uh, of goodwill, and that'll come down over 15 years. So. On average, again, we're able to depreciate 75% uh, or amortize it, uh, but we do it over about 18 years mm -hmm. rather than have to be spread out over 27 and a half, which I think is more typical for, for more typical real estate where, where you buy the bricks and mortar. Yeah, although um, the nuance there, of course, is if we're taking 30% of the asset in and depreciating that over the first year, that basically, yeah. <laughs> that's the one-to-one dollar loss on every dollar you invest. So that's an appreciable yeah. uh, benefit there. But if, if you have that much and if you can have bonus depreciation on top of that, uh, what does your typical K-1 look like to your investor? Do they have... 100% loss uh, in the first year, or are they, do, do you have a sense uh, of that? <clears throat> um, the, um, I'm not going to be able to give you a real clear answer on that, because to be candid, the last acquisition I made was about a year ago, so I'm just launching my new fund, so uh, I don't believe any of what we've done so far maybe was done in time for the new bonus depreciation. Okay. So I don't I don't know what a, a, a what my K ones will look like for for, for folks in my current Got it. funds, but I know my accountants are very sharp, <clears> and if <throat> they can take bonus depreciation and generate that sort of one to one, they certainly will. Sounds good. So, uh, tell me about the podcast. Why did you start a podcast? What is it called? And tell us all about <clears throat> it. Yeah, so uh, I started the industry's first mobile home park podcast. It's simply called Mobile Home Park Investors. Uh, folks can find it by going to mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. Uh, and I started it basically to uh, really to raise money um, uh, and some deal flow. Uh, but uh, I get now about 16,000 downloads a month. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I get folks, I don't know, it seems like somebody almost every week says like, hey, I've heard about your podcast and you know, might yeah. want to invest. Um, and then I, again, I have gotten some deal flow. It's probably more like 10 to one investors to deal flow. But uh, I did, for instance, buy a property in the uh, Raleigh-Durham metro area from some folks that had listened to the podcast and knew about an off-market mobile what home is park. The, what is the podcast focus? Is it, are you teaching people about how to manage these things and how to buy them? Or are you, is it, is it more just talking about your fund or how, what exactly is, is the sort of avatar? Yeah. So the content is really much more about how to find and operate uh, mobile home parks. Got it. Uh, we've covered some about legal structure and land trusts and other ways to own them. Um, we've had a range of guests on. Uh, for instance, we've had Jim Clayton on. Uh, Jim started uh, Clayton Homes, uh, which was and is the largest manufacturer of mobile homes. Uh, so he was not, he owned a couple of parks, but he was mostly a manufacturer of the homes. He sold that business to Warren Buffett. I believe he's now a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we just got Jim Clayton on, on the podcast to talk about his life, uh, lessons learned. Um, we've had other guys on that do, uh, for instance, specialize in any, although it's very minimal, but any new development of mobile home parks or renovation and improvement of existing parks. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a number of folks on uh, from Wall Street that cover the three publicly traded REITs, uh, Equity Lifestyle, Sun Communities, <clears throat> and UMH are the three public REITs that specialize in owning mobile home parks. So we've had some Wall Street analysts on. Um, we've had some mortgage brokers on just talking about why you might want to get bank debt on a mobile home park versus CMBS versus agency. Uh, we've had people on from the agencies, Fannie and Freddie. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, I, I've now actually just this Thursday releasing my 120th episode. Um, so everybody is directly involved in the mobile home park business in some way. Uh, we're doing online marketing of parks, providing insurance to park owners. Uh, anyway, so there's just no no shortage of guests to have on, and then other some other people that have bought parks, and I'll just ask them how and why they got into the business, mm -hmm. how they found their first mobile home park, how they run it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there there've been a number of sort of uh, case studies uh, of other people that have gotten in the business, and then of course I've talked about uh, the, the the parks that I own uh, as well myself, and then uh, with my partner in my previous two funds. Sounds good. And yeah. how can we learn more about you? So uh, the website uh, is parkavenuepartners.com. Uh, and uh, there, there's an intake form right on the homepage, parkavenuepartners.com. You can just put your name and information in there. I'll get in touch with you. There's a phone number right there on the homepage. Uh, they'll also find some links there uh, that simply say invest. Uh, and that'll take folks to a page uh, that has some information about my current fund. Uh, my track record has been returning between eight and 12% a year cash uh, to investors. And uh, we haven't yet uh, sold anything or recognized any equity appreciation. So that's uh, been the kinds of returns we've been able to generate just from actually operating the properties. We certainly do think there'll be some back end weighted 
right. capital gains as well. Sure. But uh, nice to be able to generate high single digits, low double digit cash returns just from operations for our limiteds. Sure. So again, parkavenuepartners.com. Got it. Well, listen, Jefferson, it was really great to have you on the show. Appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, hope to have you back uh, again sometime. Very good. We'd love to, Buck. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, thanks for uh, listening to the show today. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I think it was pretty interesting. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about it as well. Uh, speaking of that, um, you know, you have easy access to me vis-a-vis, well, you can email me, buck at wealthformula.com. But we're going to have an Ask Buck show pretty soon where we uh, do these, um, which I prefer, generally speaking, that you go to wealthformula.com and you see this thing where you can basically record your questions. And so I would love for you to start doing that again um, so that we can have a, a very, uh, very nice Ask Buck show. And uh, you can ask me anything you want or you can make comments, whatever you want. But these are some of the more popular shows that we have um, and again, if you're shy and you don't want to record your voice, you can just also email me at bucketwealthformula.com. Uh, and by the way, yes, I do read my own email. I am, uh, I don't know how people can just outsource their email. I just, it doesn't work for me. Um, so let's talk about, you know, this interview that we did. So what's my take here? Am I convinced? Uh, am I, have I converted? Am I now going to move into a mobile home park? Um, well, no, I'm not going to move into mobile home park and there's none in Santa Barbara uh, anyway, but, um, here's my take folks. Okay. So Jefferson, basically his, uh, sounds like about, you know, at least with his fund about eight to 12% cash flow. Um, he said that the, uh, cap rates are about, you know, about eight, uh, leverage is a little bit limited for the most part. Um, so the returns of eight to 12%, um, is of course, you know, it doesn't sound bad, right? I mean, certainly within the ballpark that, that, that I would look at things, my take on this. And, and again, if you, uh, have a different, uh, take or you want to challenge me on this, let me know. But the thing that I can't get out of my head here is listen, I'm okay with, you know, eight, eight to 12% returns, uh, cash on cash. But remember, I have this thing, about okay, if you make ten percent returns and you're just expecting cash flow, you're just getting your own money back for ten years, right? So, so that's not super exciting to me. It really isn't. And what's really exciting to me is when you can make a profit. And um, the issue here is my biggest concern. And again, I don't know the answer to this because it sounds like there isn't any historical data for this. But how much do mobile home parks really appreciate? And if they do, uh, you know, uh, it, it, wouldn't you be pricing people out? Because effectively, this is the lowest rung on the uh, low-income housing, uh, you know, place. It's not like you're gonna you're gonna take a mobile home park uh, place and uh, turn it into a B-class, you know, apartment building and sell it to an institution. That it's probably not gonna happen. Um, so that's my biggest concern is the appreciation. Because at the end of the day, I think investing is is holistic right and people get really excited about returns on an annualized basis in terms of cash flow of course you know uh cash flow eight to 12 is good but a 10-year hold without liquidity 
I don't know. I mean, it's not probably for me. Short-term debt, um, you know, in the form of uh, AHP or, um, you know, even even with the, you know, gas, oil and gas thing I had with the UCC filings and these multi-million dollar companies, um, you know, the, they're paying similar amounts with, uh, with significantly more liquidity. Um, so, so for me, I don't know that I'm convinced, but I will tell you that I certainly think you know, you wouldn't be crazy for uh, going in that direction, particularly maybe if you think you can, you know, get a little bit more out of it. If you live in the Midwest, maybe you buy your own or something like that, and you probably could get better returns. Um, but listen, obviously, Jefferson is a smart guy. He's uh, smarter than me when it comes to mobile home parks. So maybe you had to listen to his podcast. Uh, but uh, right now, I'll stick with my affinity towards apartments. Uh, and I'll, but I'll, again, I'll encourage you to go and make your own decisions, listen to his podcast, read up on his stuff, but think about all of this stuff in, um, and don't think about it in a vacuum. I think when you get caught up too much on, you know, cash flow numbers, it's not always, you know, it's not always the, the, the best thing. I, I genuinely like to look at annualized returns and IRRs, et cetera. You want to see significant growth on average per year. Um, anyway, that is it for me this week. Uh, this, uh, this has been a good show. It's been interesting for me, hopefully for you too. Make sure you again, consider the wealth formula network at wealthformularoadmap.com. And again, feel free to give me a five-star review by going to wealthformula.com if you like what I'm doing. And that's it for me this week on wealth formula podcast. This is Buck Jaffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.